when I talk to the athletes that I coach, the number one thing that I'm trying to pay attention to throughout the course of our relationship is seeing and understanding how this pursuit of running fits in to their life and everything else that they've got going on from family to work to hobbies. Yes, you can't have other hobbies beside running. And then also how those things are affecting their pursuit of running. Because if you have a very demanding job or you have a very active family or you have a lot of other hobbies, I mean, that is not only going to cut into your training time, and I don't say that in a bad way, but it's another variable that you have to account for that can affect how you're feeling on a given day, how well your workout goes, or if you're mentally fresh to race or not. I think it's important to understand that mix from both sides. Mario Fraley. This is the first Ask Mario Anything episode of 2021. A little late. I apologize for that. Uh, but joining me for the first time on the other side of the mic for this one is longtime sponsorship director of The Morning Shakeout, Chris Douglas. Welcome to The Morning Shakeout podcast. Thanks for having me. I've been waiting for my to be called <laughs> up to the big league, so I'm glad I'm finally here. It's long overdue. I mean, we're practically neighbors. You live right across yeah. town from me. We're actually recording this on your back patio. So I apologize that it's taken me this long to get you in the hot seat. But, you know, Jeff and John, they uh, they like playing the host role they every sharing. once in a while. They definitely weren't sharing, but it's okay. <laughs> Why don't we give the listeners a chance to get to know you a little better? If you want to give a little background on just sort of how we met generally and then how we came to work together on The Morning Shakeout. Yeah, so I, of course, was familiar with your work from reading Competitor Magazine for years, and um, I initially met your wife because we were training with Nate Helming at SF CrossFit together, um, so that's how I sort of learned that you moved to the to Northern California, um, and then, yeah, we've been around a couple runs. We did a bunch of SFRC stuff together, um, San Francisco Running Company, for those who aren't in locals. Um, not in the know. Not in the know. And uh, yeah, I remember one run you were talking about, we were talking about the the newsletter and you're getting sponsorships and you weren't really sure what to do. And I was like, oh man, you got to have some forms and let me just send you some forms. <laughs> and I think it, I think it just went from there. And at some point, um, yeah, it just brought me on to start helping, which has been a lot of fun. Really enjoy it. Yeah. And it's, it's been a huge weight off my shoulders, not having to think about that stuff because I had no idea what I was doing. Like, do you have contracts? I'm like, no, I don't have contracts. Um, And I was like, I should probably do that sort of thing, but not even knowing where to start. And I mean, your background is in law, so you've dealt with contracts for a long time. And it was really good for me as the morning shakeout started to grow and became a bigger part of how I was making my living that I didn't have to worry about that stuff. And I could just focus on what I enjoy doing and what I think I'm I'm good at which is which is hosting the podcast and writing the newsletter actually creating yeah. the content and not worrying about how I'm going to actually support the content so um, oh, I've been super sure. appreciative of, yeah, of all I that mean, you've done for I me. I feel like there's so much creative stuff that goes into 
producing podcasts and all that stuff that, yeah, anything that you can take off your plate and have someone who you trust and is a friend um, kind of manage for you. It's just like, you know, it's just good to have people in your corner that I think uh, are looking out for you. And yeah, I mean, my company, Presidio Sports Management, that's been, you know, around for six years, um, you know, we've helped a lot of people uh, with these types of issues. But I must say, like, you know, working with friends, there's just nothing better than that. Yeah, 100%. And and to me, it just felt like it was very serendipitous. It was meant to be when we had that conversation on the run, I'm like, oh, I don't think yeah. this is this is accidental because I'm actually looking for someone who can help me out with this stuff because it's my least favorite part of the job uh, in addition to recording the intro for this <laughs> podcast, which we were just joking about off mic, maybe we can get into later. But I've been I've been super appreciative of your help, and you've been a big part of helping the Morning Shakeout grow and sustain itself. So thank you so much for everything you've done. Yeah, it's been a blast. What else are you involved in? I know some of the other things that you're involved in, but for my listeners who who don't, how are you spending the rest of your time working and recreationally? Wow. So yeah, I mean, I split my time between, uh, you know, running my own business, being a dad to two young kids, um, trying to be a good husband and son and friend all around. And uh, yeah, the rest of the time, I actually have my own podcast that's focused on the super niche sport of swim run. Um, So that pretty much takes up all the free time that and then my own sort of endurance training for life. Are there any other swim run podcasts? No. <laughs> really? No, yeah. There's uh there's, Low Tide Boys is the only one. Low Tide Boys is the only this is gonna sound like a legal answer. It's the only active swim run podcast in the world at the moment. Um there there was uh, the first swim run podcast started in Sweden, which makes sense because that's mm-hmm. where the sport was born. It was called Swim Run Podden. Um but those folks don't don't put out any episodes anymore. And there was another podcast that started during COVID. But, you know, it just kind of faded away, which is kind of what happens with podcasts. I don't think people realize how much work it really takes if you're trying to do it well um, to be on a schedule and give people good content. And, you know, it just it just takes a lot of work. So, yeah, we're the only ones out there. Tell me a little bit about Swim Run in general. What is sure. it? So Swim Run, I think the best way to describe it is kind of like amphibious trail running where you go on a course and you go from A to B, but when you hit the water, instead of stopping, you just continue. So you swim, um, you swim with a wetsuit and you swim with your shoes on and then you get out and you you know run in your wetsuit and there's sp- specific gear like with anything for for the sport that sort of optimizes your ability to do that and uh yeah you do it with a partner um there's some solo events that you can do but typically the the original idea of the sport was to do it with a partner that you're tethered together so you can't be more than 10 meters apart at any point so it's a little bit different than you know ultra running or trail running where you know you're actually part of a team which your partner DNFs, so do you. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of magic to it because it's it's a really most of the courses are really difficult. <laughs> so so there's that piece of it. It's it's a it's a huge challenge um, athletically, um, endurance wise. Um, and if you don't like biking but you like swimming and running, then it's perfect. But some of the courses will have you know 18k of running maybe 5k of swimming all kind of mixed up and you know 18 different legs depending on what the course gives you so yeah i think it's great i'm super stoked on it and uh it's a really fun thing to do how'd you get into it just kind of randomly um 
you know, I'm kind of the person, I mean, you, you've, you've known this about me for a while that I just kind of do random, looking for the next random endurance challenge. So whether that's like self-supported run from my house to get a cup of coffee in Mill Valley to... Which is 30 something miles away. Yeah, 37 miles, something like that. It's pretty dumb. And then of course, hitting, hitting Mount Tam because you might as well, might as well touch the door on the way. Um, or, you know, doing triathlon long distance swimming, ultra cycling, whatever. Um, so I heard about swim run a long time ago in a book called the world's toughest endurance challenges that someone gave me for Christmas. It's like a coffee table book. I have that. I think Velo press put it out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Back in the day. And, uh, it's a great book. And in there they talk about the world championship, which at the time was the only swim run race that was happening in the world. Um, and it's essentially a race from one island in the Stockholm Ar Ar archipelago to another island that just happens to be around 70K <laughs> apart. Is this, is this Attilo? This is Attilo. Okay. Yeah. Um, and Attila literally means island to island. So that's kind of like the genesis of the sport is you you just highland hopping on foot and swimming across. So um, I heard about a race um, that was happening in Maine. And yeah, convinced someone to do it with me. And that's my co-host of, uh, of the Swim Run podcast. When did you guys launch Low Tide Boys? Oh, man. So we started it a little over a year ago, um, December of, of essentially, I guess, well, well, the show officially launched in, um, in January of last year. But the idea came in December where we're, we were super stoked for a race that was happening in Catalina, which was the first time that Atala, which is essentially like the Ironman of of swim run was coming to the U S and they were putting on a race in Catalina. So we, um, we're going to do that race. And a lot of our friends were asking us questions. And at that point we've done a couple of swim runs. So people are always asking us stuff and we were like, we should just put something out there. And, um, Chipper and I are both pretty much overachievers. That's my co-host Chipper Nicodemus. And, um, he was already doing a podcast with one of his buddies. So he had all the gear, he knew how to do it. So it was pretty much turnkey for me to just jump in um, with him and, and do it. And yeah, you know, a year later, we have listeners all over the world. We're like at episode 67 or something like that. We have a gear talk show where we just geek out on gear every, every couple of weeks. It's, um, it's really turned into something and it's, uh, it's been great. Well, I think it's awesome. I love what you guys are doing. I see you guys out on the trails doing your kind of wacky transition stuff, like, yep. you know, running around San Francisco, <laughs> the marina, jump in the bay, run back around the marina, jump in the bay, uh, rinse and repeat, literally. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I have zero interest in doing it myself because I can't swim. I am, I am not amphibious uh, by any means. Maybe we can get my <laughs> wife to give it a shot one of these days, but you're doing awesome work. It's been fun from afar just to to watch the podcast grow and see people get excited about it. Like that photo you sent me a couple weeks ago of a fan over in Europe sending you guys a low tide boys blanket or towel yep, that, yep. that they made you that now serves as your backdrop. It's super cool just to, yeah, just to see it grow like that. It's been really great. And, you know, I, I think like, like with trail running in many ways, there's the, the community piece of it is really great and it's, it's really supportive and, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on sustainability and like if you litter, if you drop a piece of plastic, you're disqualified immediately and banned. So it's all about, you know, being one with nature and experiencing nature and moving through it and is, you know, without leaving a footprint essentially. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's a super cool sport and, you know, you, we've had you on our podcast, which, you know, was a huge coup for us to 
to get like you know the world famous Margaret Frohley on our podcast. Oh, give me a break. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you know we're we're just trying to tell cool stories, and it's been tough with COVID because mm-hmm. you know all races got canceled, so we kind of took it on ourselves. So. We've interviewed the woman who literally came up with the name Swim Run and then gave it away to the world instead of trademarking it so the sport could grow. We've, you know, we've done race um, race pre- course previews for races in, in like St. Moritz, like in Engadin that just look ridiculously amazing. Um, yeah, and then we, uh, we also have a meme page where we essentially use that as our quote-unquote listener acquisition strategy. <laughs> So we're just like a couple of clowns, just, you know, whatever we think it's funny. So we're not only the, you know, the only running podcast, we're also the only meme account that's putting out Swim Run memes. So, And it's a pretty funny account. I've been off social media since September, but I'll have Christine show it to me every once in a while because I want to see what you guys come up with. Every so often, you'll just text it to me directly, yeah, it, but I do get a good chuckle out of them and I love it as a strategy for bringing new listeners in. Yeah, you know, and it's like the sport is so new and so young in the U.S. I mean, the sport's only 15 years old and in the U.S. about five that, you know, our our, our goal, our mission for, for the show is to really try to help grow the sport in the U.S. But then also the, the second piece of that is to make it as inclusive, as welcoming, as diverse as possible. So, you know, it doesn't have to be some pissing contest. It's, yeah, if you want to win, that's good for you. But it's all about just enjoying the experience and it's, you know, it's available for everyone. Obviously, you got to be a confident swimmer but once you've got that sorted out um yeah it's a great thing to do so encourage people to check out the show and you know reach out if they have any questions and where can they check out the show so yeah anywhere where you listen to podcasts just search for the low tide boys with a z and I think there's the little, what do you call it, above the oh, O? Oh, the little uh, umlets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The so, umlets above the O. Yeah, that, that's our little homage to Atala um, by just putting, you know, anytime we had an O in our title, we, we added that. Also a little homage to Motley Crue, I guess. I love it. Well, since I have you here, and before we get into the Ask Mario Anything portion of the podcast, I do need to thank our sponsors. Who do we have on tap for this week? Yeah, so uh, so I guess I'm doing my job. We've got two sponsors this week. The first one is Tracksmith. What can you tell us about Tracksmith? Longtime sponsor of the Morning Shakeout podcast. Super grateful for their continued support. Tracksmith is a Boston-based running apparel brand. They're born from a desire to celebrate both the history and evolving culture of running. And what they want me to talk about this week is their recently released spring collection. There's tons of cool new gear in there for spring here as the season has shifted from, from winter into spring and eventually into summer. They say it's designed for running hard when the season shifts. And I think that is on the money and my favorite piece from this collection which i rock i have two pairs so i rock them multiple times per week is the reggie half tight with a built-in liner so mm-hmm. the first version of the reggie half that's so like a, it's like a um, like a fleece liner kind of thing no it's not fleece that'd be a little warm this time of year it's uh i think like a n- nylon polyester brand don't don't quote me on that but it's mm-hmm. it's lightweight it's breathable it's super comfortable but it's built in to the half tight. The original version of the Reggie half tight, which was great. I wore them in the New York City Marathon 2019 and numerous other races. There was no built-in liner, so you, you had to, or at least <laughs> I did anyway, wore a a separate liner 
underneath, mm-hmm. which was fine. But when it's built in, it's just much more seamless, literally more seamless uh, and much more comfortable. So the Reggie Halftight with a built-in liner is my favorite piece from the collection. They've got some cool new colors. I have a pair in like bright orange, which Christine just rolls her eyes at me when I head out of the house in that. But I'm like, hey, if I'm going to put on bright orange half tights, then I better I better be ready to, to run a, fast because... probably good for hunting season. Yeah, something. well, exactly that too. I mean, I guess, I don't know if it's hunting season around here, but I'm probably not going to get shot at on the trails when I have them on. But I, I do love the Reggie half tight with the built-in liner. It's my favorite piece from the collection. And I will never go back, no offense to the original Reggie half tights. I probably will never go back to the, the original because the built-in liner is that comfortable. But there's a ton of other cool pieces on there. Um, the Twilight Collection, the Van Cortland tee, which is one of their originals, has some new colors in, in it. Very stylish, well-constructed gear that will last you a long time. So check that out at tracksmith.com. And right now, Tracksmith is offering new customers $15 off their first purchase of $75 or more. Just use the code MARIO15. That's my name, Mario, M-A-R-I-O-1-5. When you check out at tracksmith.com and you'll save 15 bucks off your purchase of $75 or more. Yeah, Tracksmith is great. I mean, what I really like about it is just it's a it's a premier item. You know, mm-hmm. the price point is pretty high, but the stuff lasts. So it's not like like the singlet that I have. I've had it for a couple years now. Still looks and feels brand new, and um, yeah, so really high quality materials that they use. So I think it's really good stuff. I'm still wearing stuff that I got back when the brand launched several <laughs> years ago. That's still holding up. So. And I wear it often, and yeah. I think that speaks just to the quality and durability of it. I also just love what they're doing for the sport, um, especially in a support role. They've supported my stuff since 2016. They were the first sponsor the Morning Shakeout ever had. They've stuck yep. with me ever since. But they're also supporting a lot of other creators in the space. They had their Tracksmith Fellowship program a while back uh, where they support a bunch of independent creators. They also sponsor a bunch of other podcasts that are different from this one. As they say, it's the evolving culture of running. Running, and I love that they've they've embraced that and they're doing what they can to support it. So big thank you to Tracksmith for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Our next sponsor is Atlanta Track Club. I'm stoked on this one too, because this is the second straight year that the Atlanta Track Club has sponsored the Morning Shakeout podcast. And right now they are stoked. I am stoked about the AJC Peachtree Road Race. It's July 4th weekend. It was canceled last year because of COVID, but it is going to happen this year. They're going to have an in-person event in Atlanta, July 4th weekend. There will also be a virtual option. If you can't make it there, you just just don't feel comfortable doing it. Uh, There will be strict COVID-19 safety precautions in place. There are limited spots available. I mean, this is one of America's iconic road races. I mean, this is like the largest 10K in the world. In the world, yeah. And it's been around for a long time. And they do a lot to support elite athletes, but also just the everyday runner and most importantly, the community community of Atlanta. They try to bring everyone in. I mean, 10K, it's for some people, that's their daily morning run. For others, it's a big challenge. And they are there to make it accessible and challenging for anyone who wants to do it. So Peachtree Road Race is going to happen this year. It's July 3rd and 4th. So it's going to be a a two-day in-person event with safety precautions. Um, You can join the Atlanta Track Club today, even if you don't live in Atlanta, and that will get you a guaranteed spot into the race, which I think is pretty cool. But if you're a non Atlanta Track Club member, you'll be placed into a lottery and race day preference will be accommodated as they have remaining spots. Because I do believe it is limited this
this year in mm -hmm. terms of the numbers because of COVID and they'll have wave starts and, and all that sort of stuff. But this is one of America's iconic road races. I'm excited for its safe return here in 2021. Registration's going on right now until May 1st. So mark your calendar. It's going on until May 1st. If you think you might want to do it, uh, try and get on that as soon as possible. And you can put your name in the lottery at ajc.com slash peachtree. So that's AJC three letters dot com slash peach tree and you can throw your name in the lottery for the AJC Peach Tree Road Race in Atlanta, Georgia, July third and fourth. Yeah, that race it's on my list. It's it's hard it's hard to make it to Atlanta for a ten K in July, but one one of these years, uh, I'm definitely going to do that because I remember when I did my first sort of big marathon, mm -hmm. um, I always thought I would hate it. It was New York City Marathon. This was, I don't know, a bunch of years ago, and it was just the energy of having so many people running was actually was way cooler than I thought. And I mm -hmm. lived in New York for a long time and I always avoided marathon weekend with like the plague because didn't want to be anywhere near it. It was hard to get around town. Um, but after doing it, I mean, it's just, it's the energy of, of huge crowds running. It can be pretty cool. So hopefully we'll get back to that in some meaningful way. Yeah, I won't be there this year, but it's also on my bucket list. I've known about the race for a long time. It's been a U.S. championship numerous times over the year. I don't think it is this year, but don't quote me on that. But there's always a great elite field there. So I've paid attention to it from afar, but I would love to race it one of these days. I was in Atlanta for the Olympic trials last year. A good chunk of the trials course was on the peach tree course so i got to see some of it and it's tough i mean it's a hilly mm -hmm. it's a hilly 10k it's challenging yeah uh and one of these days I'd, I'd love to just be out there for it and to soak in all that energy that atlanta has to offer i mean people came out i mean from all over for the trials last year but there mm -hmm. were a lot of folks from the atlanta running community there it's a great great running yeah. community uh it's a huge city obviously but people come out for it like this is this is like their boston marathon their exactly. new york city marathon the peachtree road race is like the race in yeah. atlanta so i'm stoked that it's going to happen this year if you want to be a part of it ajc.com slash peachtree throw your name in the lottery cross your fingers and hope you get in all right should we roll into the ask mario anything portion yeah. of the podcast yeah i guess uh first question this this one's for me <laughs> <laughs> all right um how are you doing in general yeah you know i'm doing i'm doing all right so we're recording this on april 14th yesterday yep. was my eighth wedding anniversary so my wife and i celebrated this past weekend by going up to sonoma county which is just north of us and spending the day up there sitting outside we got dinner at one of our favorite restaurants that we hadn't been to in over a year so i'm still just like buzzing from all of that um i i half jokingly say i shouldn't even joke about it but but marrying my wife is the biggest accomplishment of my entire <laughs> life uh and the fact that she's stuck with me um all these years and has supported me in in numerous ways is not something that that i take for granted so i've just been you know really just buzzing from that we got our first vaccine shots last week so we're like about halfway there, I guess, yeah. in terms of, of protecting ourselves from this virus that's been ravaging the world over the past year. And we're optimistic that that will allow us to perhaps travel in the coming months, see our, our families for the first time mm -hmm. in over a year. Um, so, you know, I'm optimistic in that regard, knowing that there's still a long way to go until we're past the worst of this thing. I mean, I'm not that naive either, but I'm optimistic that 
the second half of this year will be better than the first and certainly better than last year on, you know, on the aggregate. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, generally I'm, I'm optimistic. I did a, I did a hard workout this morning before I came here to record with you. And I think I'm going to try another one mile time trial here in the next couple of weeks before shutting it down for a while. And I've really just been enjoying running this year, these, these past few months. Mm -hmm. It's something I've been doing for the past 23 years at a competitive level. And I'm still training hard as I approach 40 years old, but I'm enjoying it, I think, more than I ever have before, at least in a different way than I have before. And I enjoy pushing myself in the process, and I, I have for a while, but it's also just been a rock for me uh, sure. since we've been hit with the pandemic. I've, I've had streaks going since this started, and, and they've all sort of been unintentional, and the only snap in that streak was when we had that real bad week last fall oh, when smoke week. we couldn't go outside. Yeah, the fires were just so bad here that it was unhealthy to go outside, and I don't have a treadmill, and I wasn't going to put that much extra extra effort into, you know, trying to go to a friend's house and, and use their treadmill, especially with COVID and stuff going on. So I took that week off. But otherwise, like I've pretty much run every day for the last year plus. And I haven't run more than I ever have. Like my volume's not crazy high. Mm -hmm. It's actually not that high for me at all, but it's been super consistent. And I've, I've really just come to appreciate the simplicity of the run. It's just what I do every yeah. morning. It's a, it's a part of my day. I call it the foundation that I can build the rest of my day upon. And I've really just developed a, a new and different appreciation for that. So, you know, overall, I, I think I'm doing pretty well. Um, I, I really can't complain about much. I try not to complain much in general. I've really tried to embrace gratitude over the past year plus, and that has made a, a huge difference. And that's been reinforced to me in so many ways. I had Dilji Taylor, who's the coach of the BYU uh, women's cross country and track teams. I think she's associate athletic director at BYU as well. But one of the themes of that conversation was gratitude. And she said, everything we do, we lead with gratitude. And I really tried to embrace that. And it's it's amazing what that can do for you uh, when you really lead with gratitude. As bad as things can be, as challenging as times can be, if you lead with gratitude, it really can help you overcome a lot of obstacles or work through those tough periods. And I've certainly had them over the past year. It's not to say everything's been you know rainbows and butterflies sure. for me, but by focusing on on what I do have and what I am grateful for and expressing that, especially to to people has made a huge difference for me. And it's something that I hope to maintain moving forward. For people following score at home, that episode with uh, Dilji Taylor's uh, 135. Did you just know that off the top of your head? No. Okay. I looked it up. <laughs> I looked it's it like, up. that's impressive. <laughs> I'm a good sponsorship director, Mario. Um, you know, I, th I think that's really interesting because, I mean, definitely, I think there's a lot of people who've had to sort of decouple they're running from racing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been harder for some people than others, I'm sure. Absolutely. If that's how you were sort of getting all of your chops was, you know, training for your A race or something like that. But but yeah, I mean, it's been the same for me, just the idea of, um, I mean, my training plans have always been super wacky with swim run and stuff, but it's, it's kind of like, 
how am I going to express fitness today, experience joy and have gratitude for the ability to be fit and do things. Mm -hmm. Um, And whether, you know, that's like running a 5k or crushing some hill rips or something, um, you know, it's, it's, it's for me, it's, I've definitely been decoupled from racing. Um, and yeah, I, honestly, I don't think I'm going to go back. I feel like I feel so much healthier now from just like a training perspective. Like it's, it's, there's so much better balance now, I think. Yeah. I think that's such an important point. And don't get me wrong. I am excited to race again and take part in events and challenge myself against other people or a tough course, but in the absence of events over the past year plus, I really did some deep digging internally in terms of what I wanted my relationship with running to be. I thought, oh, well, so do I just go out and jog every day and have that like 30 to 60 minutes to myself? And I tried doing that for a little while and I realized that that's one, it's just, it's just not me. Um, it's, it's not me. I mean, I've done hard workouts my entire life. I've done longer runs my entire life, but they've always been working toward that race, um, that very concrete goal, that set date on the calendar. And I didn't have that over the past year, but I realized I needed those things. But I looked at them in a different light. I was like, hey, there's a lot of benefit in just getting out of my comfort zone once a week and pushing myself through a hard workout. I actually have a text thread with our our mutual friends, Michael Zinsky and Nate Helming, both former guests of the Morning Shakeout podcast. Nate has since moved. And the Low Tide Boys. And the Low Tide Boys. So they've crossed over both ways. Um, Nate has since moved out of town. He lives in Oregon now. Mikey doesn't live far from me and he and I still get together for runs every once in a while. But I send them the workout for that week and we try to do it on Wednesdays. Sometimes Mikey and I will meet up, but more often than not, we're doing it on our own. And that's helped me to just feel connected to those two guys. But, you know, also without it leading toward something specific, it's just good practice to put myself in an uncomfortable position and to work through it. And like the tangential benefit of that is I get fit. Um, Like imagine that. But um, (laughs) but I haven't been been putting that pressure on myself that a lot of us do when we're in a build to race and we have a bad work and we're like, oh God, it was like a terrible workout. Like I must not be, I must not be fit. It, it wasn't yeah. about, it wasn't about that. And that's much like you just described yourself. I mean, I want to take that with me moving forward when there are races on the calendar, because I think it'll help me to maybe take myself a little less seriously, but also just to put things in context and perspective. Right, right. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, you know, talking about Nate and and Mikey, who are both awesome coaches in their own right, mm-hmm. that kind of leads us into 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 our first question from a listener, which uh, Steve B was asking. You know, how was moving to NorCal, or how has moving to NorCal shaped or inspired your view of running in general? And I like to I like to answer that question, but also kind of add to that. I mean, you've made some really amazing friendships since moving to NorCal and you've been part of this amazing community with San Francisco Running Company and, and the whole thing. Um, so if you can just speak to kind of like how that move up here, which was because your your wife mm-hmm. got a job up here um, that precipitated all that, like how, how has that kind of um, inspired you? So I think I should frame that first before I get into my answer. My wife, Christine, and I moved to the Bay Area in 2014 for her job in San Francisco. And we moved from San Diego where I had been for three and a half years. And she had been at that point, God, for 
13 years, I believe. She went to grad school there and did her postdoc. So we moved from San Diego. And prior to that, I spent pretty much my entire life in Massachusetts, first 28 years of it on the East Coast. So yeah, I moved from East Coast, Massachusetts to Southern California, which is about as different as you can get. And then from Southern California here to the Bay Area, seven years ago now, or a little over seven years ago, which is crazy to think about. Uh, time flies. But I'd say the the biggest thing it's done for me is expanded my perspective on running. So when I came here, I thought that I was a trail runner because I ran on trails every so often. I would, I would go jog on dirt uh, for some of my my easy runs. I liked getting off road because it's safer than being on a busy street. It's easier on your body than the asphalt, but I'd never done a trail race. I had zero interest at all in ultra running as a personal pursuit or even as a sport that I followed. And when I got here, I got thrown into this trail running scene and it really just expanded my perspective on trail running as a sport unto itself, like something that people focus on and they focus on it from 5k all the way up to these crazy ultra distance races and all sorts of stuff in between like mountain races. I mean, you, you know, you name it. And and this was like a whole new world for me. Did you know that? Did you know that when you moved up here that you're essentially coming into one of the trail running meccas of, uh, of North No, America. I had no idea. I'd never been here. I'd literally never spent a day of my life in, in the Bay Area. I knew nothing about it. And I knew no one here either except for my friend Brad who had lived in San Diego and came up here a few months before we did. I said, Brad, where do I go to run and meet people? Where's the community? And he said, you need to go to San Francisco Running Company on Saturday morning at 8 o'clock for their group run. Uh, it'll be an amazing trail run in the Marin headlands, which meant nothing to me at the time. There's some really fast guys who go, so you'll have good company. Great. So I, I went up there and I was decently fit at the time and I joined the group, went out for the run. I think it was a 13 mile loop or so. I got dropped hard about an hour into it, and I got dropped because my legs were just trashed from the sustained uphills and downhills. I mean, the terrain here is really unique. Uh, Being at sea level, you can climb for 10 to 20 minutes on a relentless grade and and also go down a relentless grade for 10 or 20 minutes. Uh, There's just a lot of just steep pitches here and and mini peaks i would call them that i'd never experienced before and really like messed with my body in a unique way when i was running and and it took some time to adapt to him but anyway i got dropped on that run i i like totally ate crap uh and cut my knee up my hand found my way back to the shop i mean i i got i got dropped like a bad habit it was very humbling for me um but i was also just really excited as well because I'd never done running like this. Like these trails were very different from the footpaths that mm-hmm. I had run in San Diego or some of the trails I'd run through the woods on the East Coast previously. 
and then in talking to these guys, realizing they focused on this discipline of trail and ultra running, and some of the best runners in the country were here. I mean, you had Alex Varner, who was the 50K national champion at the time, yep. Jorge Maravilla, who was the 100K national champion at the time, Matt Lay, who was the 100-mile national champion at the time, Dylan Bowman, Came who, in third at Western one year. I think it was later that year that he was third at Western, but he was a professional ultra runner. I mean, they were just these fast, fast guys. And I became really interested in it because I'd never been, one, I'd never been around it before. I didn't even know it was, it was really a thing. And in my mind, I was like, ah, I mean, these guys are just good at, you know, jogging for a long time. Um, right. And turns out they're running really fast for a long time over some incredibly tough terrain. So I developed a respect for it. And I think the coach's light bulb also went off as well because I started asking these guys and some of the women as well, Ia Wang, Devin Yanko, how they train for these events. Because I had no idea. I'd never done one myself. I never coached anyone mm -hmm. for an ultra. I was just I was just really curious. I'm like, do you guys just do these long runs all the time? Do you do intervals? I had, I had no idea. <laughs> so, I mean, it was satisfying a curiosity as well, but it it expanded my my horizons on on what running was and that's just one also one part of it and i think because of that i started looking in to other areas of running that i either hadn't paid attention to before or had no knowledge of so urban running and running crews whether it was in san francisco and other parts of the country mm -hmm. where i knew people and just exploring what that was all about um within the the ultra space like I mean, anything above a marathon is an ultra, right? But yep. there's a big difference between a fast 50K on the trails and, you know, a 100 miler around the mountains and a 100K on the roads. And, and some of those are like worlds within worlds. Totally. Uh, and it was, it was coming to understand, you know, some of that as well. And I mean, that just was, was a really enlightening period for me because I think I had become very set in my ways or at least on my views of running and that helped to expand my my horizons not just in terms of what was going on here in the bay area but what was going on in the greater running world in general and that hasn't stopped i mean that's awesome I, yeah i remember you wrote a story for a competitor that was like this is years ago now but i think mm -hmm. it was kind of like your uh your 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 poem, your love poem to to the headlands, like it was talking about like the community at SFRC. You were talking about Brett Rivers, who started that community and all that. Um, yeah, this was years ago, but that was a really amazing piece. I thought. So I've written a few things about the area since I've been here. I think what you're referring to is a feature I did for a competitor that was called Bros on a Mountain. Yeah, and that was about those guys that I had talked about. A few minutes ago who were 50k national champion 100k national champion 100 mile national champion three in the top 10 at western states all of whom lived within a few miles of each other just yeah. north of the golden gate bridge and that reminded me of like this sounds super nerdy but like you know villages in kenya where you would have like you know world and major marathon champions and olympians like yep. you know on on every block but i mean Generally, people aren't paying as much attention to mountain, ultra, and trail running, but here you had arguably some of the best runners in the country, if not the world, all living in the same 
general vicinity and training right. together. And I thought that was a, a pretty cool story. And yeah, I guess that was indirectly a little bit of a a love letter or a poem to the community. But then a couple of years later, I did write what was essentially a a love letter to Mount Tam, yeah. which is the well, highest was, peak yeah. here in Marin County. And that was for Tracksmith's Meter magazine or journal. I can't remember exactly where they put it. I think you can find it online. I'll have to dig it up. But I mean, Mount Tam towers over us here in the Bay Area. And people outside of this area who live in real mountain towns and at altitude would, I think, just laugh that we call that a mountain. It's like a 2,500 foot peak, right. but it towers above everything here because we are right at sea level. Yeah. We're on the ocean, but you've got this big peak that you can see throughout the entire area, whether you're in San Francisco, south of the city, north of the city. I mean, Mount Tam sticks out and yep. it is definitely central to the running community here. Well, everyone you were just talking about, they all lived in the shadow of Mount Tam. Yeah. I mean, that's really one of the unifying things. Exactly. Of, you know, I remember one year, I think Dylan did a hundred Mount Tam summits. Yeah, he did a hundred in a year. I think Incredible. our mutual friend Fernando topped that a couple years ago. There is still a standing Wednesday morning run from downtown Mill Valley that runs what I call the traditional route up Mount Tam. It's yep. just over 5K. It is hard, hard running. I mean, it's for most people, I'd say at least twice what it would typically take you to do a flat 5K in terms of time there's a road aspect to it there's oh, some yeah. runnable switchbacks but then there's some parts where you are like on your hands and knees like crawling over you know steep rock and it's just something you have to do i feel like if you live here or you're part of the running community in marin but beyond that i mean if you're doing a track workout anywhere here in the area you see mount tam like it's right there i mean i was at redwood high last week doing intervals with the aforementioned michael zinski and i'm looking at mount tam the entire time so it really does unite the community here and it's it's a pretty special mountain here in marin county oh super special i think a lot of people have a very um if you're a trail runner and in Marin County, Mount Tam is a special place for you. It's almost, I don't want to say sacred, but it's definitely, there's, there's some, there's some to that mountain that just uh, draws you. And it's, you know, it's oh, not yeah. the most beautiful mountain out there. You know, it doesn't look like Denali or anything like that, but um, you know, the smell of Mount Tam in the summer, it's something really special. No, it, it's magnetic. Like you said, when you're out on your uh, 37 mile coffee <laughs> commute, might as well go over Mount Tam yeah. because it's there. Exactly. Exactly. So let's let's jump into some of these questions. Um, you know, some of them are about training, and we have a question from Anna P, mm -hmm. who is just curious if you can give her any advice on returning to running uh, postpartum. The number one piece of advice that I give women, whether I coach them or not, who are getting back into running after pregnancy, is to find a physical therapist who specializes in pelvic floor rehabilitation because a woman's body goes through so much during nine months of pregnancy and then the delivery itself and not everyone comes out of it the same and i think it's really important that you consult with a medical professional maybe you want to talk to your doctor first to understand exactly what happened to your body so that you can begin a rehabilitation strengthening plan to get you back to a good base before you stress it 
with running. And along with that, and maybe even before that advice, I would say be careful about what you see on social media because I know from just the women that I've coached, they've all responded differently after pregnancy. Some of them have been able to get back to running relatively quickly and well and readapt very smoothly to it and gradually build up their mileage and they're good to go. And I've had other women who have just had a real hard time and their body hasn't cooperated with them or the healing took longer than they expected. But if you scroll through a social media feed, more often than not, you're only going to see the success stories. And I think what happens to a lot of women, especially those who are having babies for the first time, is they see that and they expect that they're going to bounce right back. And maybe they will, but sometimes they don't. Um, So I think it's just important to be careful with social media and what you see and realize that may not be the case for you. And then beyond that, Find a good PT who can help you rehab before you start to stress your body with running miles. I feel like that might be an unsatisfying answer for Anna. Maybe it'll be the right answer and, and what she needs to hear, but I want to be careful not to say, oh, well, start week one right. by doing you know two minutes of walking followed by one minute of running and then one minute of walking and two minutes of running. Eventually, yes, you will get to that point, but it's so individual, and I've just learned that women respond very differently to the trauma of, of pregnancy and the best thing that you can do before talking to your coach about how you're going to reintegrate yourself back into running and rebuild your mileage is to talk to the medical professionals, the physical therapists, understand exactly what it is that you went through and what you need to do to get your body ready to handle the stresses of running. Because that's the other part of it too. You have some women who can run through most of their pregnancy and they can Mm -hmm. take a few weeks off and get right back into it. You have other women who, for one reason or another, had to stop running very early on in their pregnancy. And they may have gone, you know, four, five, six, eight months without having run a step. And that's a very different situation as well. So there's just no blanket answer for how to restart running after pregnancy. But I think regardless of what your experience was like, consulting with your doctor, finding a good physical therapist and making sure that you take care of all of that first is the best thing that you can do. I think, I think maybe uh, the one thing that is universal and, you know, tell me if you co-sign on this statement is just be kind to yourself. You Mm -hmm. know, everyone's going to respond differently. Don't have any expectations. Don't be too hard on yourself and just, yeah, go to the doctor, do what you need to do, but you know, don't have any expectations that you're going to, you know, don't, 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 don't be mad at yourself if you're not hitting your goals or whatever. Just be kind. Yeah, and I think that goes hand in hand with what I said about being careful with what you see on social media. Because exactly. if you see someone else who is progressing faster than you, you feel like you're behind. You're going to beat yourself up over that unnecessarily. Um, so I think that's really great advice to just be kind for yourself and try to be as patient as possible and try not to give yourself too firm of a timeline for when you want to be at this place and then at that place and then there, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Great answer. Their next question is from Anoop. 
I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's a two-parter. He's a, he's a very, very early beginning runner, and he's training for his first marathon in Stockholm, Sweden, if COVID permits. And he wants to enjoy running, but he feels like he doesn't want it to affect his his balance with his family. And so he's wondering um, if he can keep thinking about running his workout and training and food and being a runner and all that stuff, but then also focus on his family. Can you suggest in your view, what he should do to make sure he maintains a pretty good balance in his daily life? Yeah, great question. I think a lot of runners, even if they've been at it for a long time, struggle with this. And when I talk to the athletes that I coach, the number one thing that I'm trying to pay attention to throughout the course of our relationship is seeing and understanding how this pursuit of running fits in to their life and everything else that they've got going on from family to work to hobbies. Yes, you can't have other hobbies beside running. And then also how those things are affecting their pursuit of running. Because if you have a very demanding job or you have a very active family or you have a lot of other hobbies, I mean, that is not only going to cut into your training time, and I don't say that in a bad way, um, but it's, it's another variable that you have to account for that can affect how you're feeling on a given day, how well your workout goes, or if you're mentally fresh to race or not. So I think it's important to, to understand that mix from both sides, number one, but also as best you can, I want to be careful how I phrase this, but compartmentalizing your day and your week. And making sure that your family understands as best you can explain it to them how important this pursuit of running is for you and what the commitment looks like to train for something like a marathon as a new bast in, in this question. Just being very clear about that. Like, hey, I'm going to be training from this time to this time, Monday through Friday during the week. I need three hours on Saturday or whatever it is to do my long run for this 12 or 16 week period that I'm, I'm training for the race. Because if you have those parameters very clearly defined, then you can also clearly define when it's time to be with your family, when it's time to go to work. And each of these things has a place during the day and throughout the course of a week. And also realizing that over the long term it's going to evolve. I mean, you may have 12 yeah. or 16 weeks where you are really all in on this marathon training and you've got to devote a little extra time to it. And some of those other things, I don't want to say they're taking a backseat, but they're not the primary focus at the time. I mean, obviously your family's always got to be a primary focus. You've got to focus, you know, on your work, but making sure that your family or your boss understands like, hey, I'm, I'm doing this thing. I'm putting a lot of time effort and energy into it right now, but it's going to be over after this date. Then I'm going to be in a, a recovery period. And maybe if there's things that I need to play catch up on, I can do it during that time. Um, you know, when you're not training as much, that is more time that you can spend with your family, or maybe that is when you're going to, you know, travel for work. Everyone's situation is a little bit different, but I hope Anoop, you understand what I'm trying to get across here is that, you know, you've got to carve out the time for each of these 
things that's important for you. Try and understand what the balance and what the mix is so that you can maximize your training time, maximize the time with your family, maximize the time and effort that you're putting into your job and realizing that it's going to be ever evolving. There are going to be periods of the year when your family or your work is going to take up most of your time, energy, and focus. And there are going to be short periods throughout the year when you are going to want to put more of a focus into your training. You're going to want to prioritize that rest and recovery a little bit more so that you can absorb that training. But also that's going to allow you to be, you know, a a better husband, a better father, a better employee. And it's not easy. And there's some trial and error involved in there. There's not just a tried and true perfect formula that I can I can give you but I think that's the mindset that you have to take when approaching stuff like this Oh, totally. I mean, as someone who has uh, young kids and I'm still trying to travel for races and things like that yeah I mean it's uh there there is time to do everything and what works for me is just communicating the family's involved 100%. they know what's happening um so you know you don't have to do this in the dark and no one needs to know why you're getting up at four in the morning like you know let people in let people know what you're doing and they'll for the most part they'll support you they'll they'll root you on and you'll have that support network which will probably help you training for your race anyway i think that's an important point that i forgot to mention is is involving the other people in your life because if they can see that this is something that is important to you then they understand why you're gone for a couple hours on the weekend for your long run but they're also going to want to be there when you cross the finish line because they know how important it is to you and that's an amazing feeling oh totally totally so let's switch gears a little Mm -hmm. bit um so dave m is asking um he says that one of one of the favorite parts about the morning shakeout podcast and newsletter is the feeling of nostalgia that he gets from um from his high school uh, competitive running days. So so back in the glory days for him, for, for, for Dave. Um, and he especially loved cross country and he loved the team aspect of the sport. And he races as an adult, as, as an adult and mostly does ultras. And while he loves the community, it's not nearly the same level as, of camaraderie as being on a team. And so he's asking, what can a mid or backpacker do, especially in the period of social distancing, to reconnect or um, create that camaraderie? I love this question because here I am just about 39 years old, getting close to 40. I'm 20 years, almost 20 years removed from the end of my college career, over 20 years removed from when I ran in high school. And I've been experiencing that nostalgic feeling more than ever right now. I mean, I put on my high school jersey a couple of weeks ago to do a mile time trial on the track. And I say that, you know, I was there with a, a couple friends of mine doing it and I was, you know, I was playing track and it was only four of us. Uh, and for me, just having that goes a long way to share experiences with. So the number one thing I would say is to find your community and community doesn't have to be massive. It can be. I mean, you can go to a big group run like we were talking about at SFRC and be around 40 people and feel part of a community in that way. But maybe you have like one, two or three regular training partners who you meet with on Saturdays to go out for your long run. And that's something that you can look forward to and you feel part of a little team. And I feel confident enough at this point in 
COVID times to run outside with other people in a safe way. I mean, I haven't run with more than I think three people at once and we're careful about keeping our distance from one another, but I feel very safe in that environment. I haven't heard any stories of people getting sick in that way. So I think finding a few people that you're comfortable being around and meeting up with on a regular basis, whatever that means for you can go a long way. But also, like I described earlier, I've got Nate and Mikey who are two of my really good friends and we used to meet on Wednesday mornings for workouts and then COVID hit Nate moved away. Now Mikey's got some commitments that morning, but I send them the workout Mm -hmm. and more often than not, like today we did the workout on our own. And then we usually take a screenshot of our GPS upload afterward and add some comments and send it to one another and have these like, you know, virtual high five type things, or we, we give each other crap. But I think like even having that, um, speaking for myself and I know a few other people who have similar arrangements that can go a long way. Cause then you don't feel like you're just doing this alone. You feel a part of something, yeah. even if you're not actually meeting with those people on a regular basis. And the last thing I would say is when you feel comfortable doing this and it's safe to do so check out local running clubs in your community. I think that is probably the closest thing that you can get to that high school cross country team or that high school track team. A lot of running clubs, whether they're training for races or not, will meet on a regular basis. They'll have track Tuesday or tempo Thursday or long run Saturday. And you almost treat those like practice, like, hey, that's on my calendar every week. I'm going to go to practice on Thursday morning with the crew. and We're going to bang out a tempo run. And for me, when I meet up with even just a few of my buddies for a workout, it does feel like practice in a lot of ways. Like we are getting together to push one another, keep one another honest, to have some fun, give each other crap, high five after the workout. Maybe we'll get coffee afterward. And that reminds me of going to practice in mm-hmm. college on a Thursday afternoon, finishing up, high five and going to the cafeteria, getting dinner and then and then going home. And I mean I I am craving that more than ever myself. And I think some of that has to do with COVID and the isolation that's involved in that. But when I have gotten together with my friends, it feels very special. It feels very meaningful. It's always something that I look forward to and it energizes me for the next day. So I would find that in your community and it could be something in an an official capacity like a running club that's meeting regularly or it's just a few of your buddies and you set up the schedule for yourself and say, hey, we're going to meet on this day. At this time, it's a standing date every week, and we're going to commit to showing up for one another and having a good time and running hard. So let me ask you a question about that. Um, This is a question from Chris Douglas here. Um, You know, I think the interesting thing about cross country is that it really does have a team aspect. And and maybe one of the things that um, that Dave is getting at is... um, or that could help them find that camaraderie is the idea that you have like a shared goal with somebody, mm-hmm. whether it's qualifying for state or, or whatever it is. Um, do you think in running, which is really, especially in ultras, really individual kind of thing, do you think that there's a that you can find people to have like shared goals with and then get camaraderie that way? You definitely can. And ideally, you'd find that person or persons in your community and mm-hmm. actually share it 
together on a training run on a regular basis, but you can almost certainly find someone if you're looking for them who is training for the same ultra event as you, whether it's through Facebook or Instagram or message boards or forum of some sort, and you can stay Strava and you can stay connected in that way. It's not an ultra, but here's a good example. I had zero interest in racing a marathon this fall. The only one that was semi-interesting to me was Boston because it's in October and Boston is never in October. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ah, it'd be cool. It'd be really cool to be a part of that. But I don't think I'm going to have a qualifier based on when I ran my last marathon. Turns out the window is going to be really big and I do have a qualifier and I can get in. And my friend Rich, who lives in Ithaca, New York, other side of the country, same boat as me. Didn't mm -hmm. think he would run a fall marathon. Saw that the window was pretty wide open. Had a qualifier. It's like, I think I might do Boston. And we were just chatting about it over text. And I was like, if you do it, I'll do it. Yeah. And I <laughs> well, mean, he go. and I are not going to go on one training run. I'm pretty sure this entire training cycle leading up to Boston in October. But just knowing that he's going to be doing it and him knowing that I'm going to be doing it and knowing that we're regularly in touch anyway and maybe we'll talk about what our long run is that weekend, what workout we did, or we'll try to coordinate our training plans. We feel more connected in that way. And I do feel like I'm not just doing this on my own. We're doing this together. And it has a lot of similarities with being on a cross-country team and training for the same season or peaking for the same mm -hmm. race. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. You know, I lived in Boston for a while. Weather in October, who the hell knows? <laughs> well, same with weather in April. It could be. I guess weather anytime. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, if we're being honest, I mean, that's where I'm from. So I, I know this very well myself. But yeah, I mean, the weather anytime could be all over the place. But I, I mean, people are like, oh, October, it's going to be perfect. I'm like, it could be perfect. It could be perfect. Um, but it could be really hot. Um, <laughs> you never know. And you'd say the same thing about the traditional date for Boston, which is usually mid to late April. Yeah. Patriots Day. Great day in Boston. All right. Next question is from Carrie O. She uh, She's interested in, in what's happening with the Olympics and the trials. And she's wondering, you know, what races are you most looking forward to in the Olympics and, uh, and the Olympic trials coming up? And also, which events do you think the U.S. has the best chances of meddling in? I'm just excited that they're going to happen, or it seems like they're going to happen. does seem like At it's going to happen. At this point, I mean, there's still a long way to go before you can have big events in stadiums. Japan's already said they're not going to allow international spectators, but it seems like the games themselves are going to happen, which means the trials are going to happen, and I'm just excited about that. I mean, I love all the events in track and field, but if I'm biased, it's toward the distances. Mm -hmm. Listen to this podcast or read my newsletter. That's obvious. So I'll be watching the distance races very, very closely. I'll be paying particularly close attention to the women's distance races because American women's distance running is in a place that it's never been before. I mean, we have a depth in this country for events from the 800 all the way through the 10K that we've never had. Um, we have women like Shelby Houlihan, Carissa Schweitzer, who 
are bona fide metal contenders in whatever event they want to do. I mean, Shelby <laughs> Houlihan could run the 1500, 5K, or 10K, which I don't even think she's done yet, and she would be a metal contender in any of those events. Same thing with, like, Carisha Schweitzer on the women's side, and plenty of others as well who aren't immediately coming to mind right now, and that's not to slight anyone in particular, but bottom line is American women's distance running is in a place that it's never been, and I feel like there could be multiple medals from American athletes in anything from the 800 meters on up to the 10K. And a lot of that's going to depend on who is on the team. That's why we were on the trials. So we don't know at this point. So I'll be excited to to watch the trials. I mean, we've seen a lot of time trials over the past year. Folks have been running extremely fast. You've got some other other athletes who have laid pretty low but have a very good shot at, at making teams but they're just saving themselves for late june so that they can be on their game and then hopefully continue that through through august um and i'm just excited to see kind of like you know who comes out of the woodwork but also if the establishment let's call it can maintain their position of of dominance and carry that all the way through to tokyo why do you think the women's uh field is the U.S. women's field specifically is so strong? I think there are a number of reasons for that. I mean, going back a few years, there have been more American women than ever showing that they can be competitive at the world level. You can go all the way back to the days of Dina Castor, who is past her prime at this point, but winning major marathons, setting an American record in the marathon, meddling, uh, at the Olympic Games, Shalane Flanagan meddling at the Olympic Games, winning New York City Marathon, Des Linden winning Boston. I mean, and just we're talking about track Des here. Des Linden, who just uh, got the 50K world Yesterday, record. Yesterday, yes, 50K world best. It is world not best. officially a world record. Excuse me. Excuse so, me. Apologize. Uh, you're the lawyer here. <laughs> but, um, but I, I mean, I think American women have just shown over the past few years they can be competitive at the world level. And there is this, and this goes for the men too, but I'm focusing on the women right now, but women see that and they say, well, if, if she can do it, why can't I? And it just, it just gives them that belief that they need that, Hey, I'm capable of this. And that's very, very powerful on top of that. I mean, specific to the times we're living through right now there haven't been as many races over the past year plus i think that's allowed a lot of athletes both men and women to have prolonged periods of uninterrupted training and with that comes a new sense of what's possible if they're injury prone or they were working through injuries they could take the time that they needed to mm -hmm. you know to heal and and that can't be discounted either but you know i think i think generally success begets success and there are more american women than ever who believe that they can compete at a global level and that trickles all the way down to sub-elite athletes who want to be elite, collegiate athletes who want to be pro, high school athletes who want to run in college and then maybe run professionally. Going back to the trials in Atlanta last year, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but the women's field was way bigger than the men's. And mm -hmm. you can make an argument that their standard wasn't as tough to hit 
as the men's, I'm not going to go there. I think there were just more women who were excited to see what was, you know, what was possible for themselves. And you would see like two or three dozen of them at the same race, like chasing, you know, chasing a qualifier and, and that same type of attitude in smaller numbers translates over to the track as well. So that's what I'll be paying real close attention to. I'm really excited about the American women. I'm, I'm, don't get me wrong, just as excited about the American men. I, I mean, we had Matthew Centrowitz, who was a gold medalist in, in Rio in the 1500 meters. Um, that performance, I know, inspired a lot of aspiring middle distance runners to believe that that was possible for themselves. And I mean, Centrowitz himself is still in it, even though he has been racing super well lately, he still has time to, to get it together. I mean, you had the Bowerman men who ran an incredible 10 K just a month or so mm-hmm. ago. And they're not just training to make an Olympic team. They want to be on the medal stand. So I think the, the future is very bright. Um, what's immediately ahead of us with the trials. It'll be super exciting, especially in the new stadium in, in Eugene, uh, updated and upgraded Hayward Field facility. Mm-hmm. It'll be fun to, to watch a track meet in there, whether you're actually in the stadium or checking it out on TV. I think that will help to just get you know the general public excited about, about track and field. But, I mean, American distance running as a whole, especially on the women's side, it is, is rising. I mean, and rising tide lifts all boats. Uh, we're definitely, we're definitely seeing that. And I'm, I'm optimistic that if these trials go off and, you know, the games happen, I I think we could see more American middle distance and distance medals on both the men's and women's side than we've seen in quite some time, if not ever. And I don't want to, completely downplay the the sprints and the hurdles and the jumps and the throws uh, and field events, that sort of thing. We've always been strong in those areas. There hasn't been as much excitement around those athletes in the past couple of months just because they haven't had as many opportunities to, to race. But I think once we get closer to the trials, we're going to start seeing like some eye popping times in the sprints, mm-hmm. like in the hundred and 200 in the, in the hurdles. We're starting to already now that outdoor season is, is getting into, into full swing. I mean, a lot of sprinters, um, don't run full indoor seasons and last year everything was canceled. So I think things have been kind of quiet on that side, but I mean, I think top to bottom, American track and field sprints all the way up to the distances, including all the field events. We should be fielding our strongest track and field team for the Olympic Games ever. Wow. I love it. Full stop. I love it. I mean, I have to ask another question, but I kind of want to just let that pause a little bit longer just to let that sink in for people. Um, so our last question today is from, is from Marie B. And uh, she, this is a really long question, so I'm just going to summarize it. But um, essentially, she's asking, um, you know, about the time and steps involved for creating each episode for the shakeout. Is it something that happens really quickly? How Basically, she wants to know the inside baseball, uh, peek under the hood and see what does it take to actually put out a newsletter and a, and a podcast episode. How the sausage is made. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so I will focus on the podcast first and then I will go to the newsletter because the 
process for each of those is very different. So I put out one podcast per week. It gets published on Monday afternoon, Monday evening. John Summerford, who is the audio producer for The Morning Shakeout, he has done every episode since episode one, so we're 155 in, I think, as of this conversation. He's my right-hand man. Uh, he does all of the dirty work behind the scenes. 156. 156 episodes. <laughs> he does all the dirty work behind the scenes to make it sound as good as it does. Audio quality is really important to me and him, but he does all the editing, masters the sound, um, puts the show together, recorded the music himself. We have a great relationship. Um, so here's our system. We have a shared Google Drive that I can upload audio files to. So as I record podcasts, I put all of these raw files into the raw file folder. We have a shared Google Doc. That's our production schedule. And it says who the guest is, who the sponsors are, what date it's going to come out so that we can peek into the future and, and keep tabs on things. So he knows what episodes need to be ready for which dates. And after he does his initial edit on the show, that's usually to tighten up pauses or you know to cut out stumbles. There are actually a lot of stumbles that you don't hear, but that's why I have an audio editor. Um, he it's movie, it's makes movie it, magic. <laughs> yeah, he makes the magic, and he makes everything just sound really smooth and, and continuous. Uh, he'll let me know when that's ready. And for me, Wednesday is my, is my editing day for the following week's podcast. So on Wednesday, I listen through the edited file that he sends me back and I let him know if I have any additional edits. I will also record the intro for the show that day uh, along with any ad reads and then I, I will send it all back to him. And he usually has it ready for me by Sunday night. So it's there for Monday morning and it's, it's good to go up on, on Monday. In terms of the, the guests itself, like my recording days are generally Wednesdays and Thursday. I have a master list of guests that I would like to have on the show. I don't really have a rhyme or reason to when a certain guest comes on. I mean, sometimes you'll hear from someone right after they've popped a big race. I tend to stay away from that because usually a lot of people want to talk to that person. So it's tough to track them down. Number one, their time can be limited. I don't think those conversations are as interesting. I want these conversations that I have to be as timeless as possible. So I just kind of put episodes up when they're ready to, when they're ready to go up and when I can get a guest down, but I have a, a master list of guests and, you know, I'm constantly sending out emails and messages to folks or their representatives, uh, to schedule them on the show. I try to, always work like two to four weeks ahead. So I've always got a few episodes kind of in the can. And if we need to move certain guests around for, for one reason or another, I, I have the flexibility to do that. So I'm not scrambling at the last minute to record mm -hmm. an episode. I've definitely been there before in the earlier days of the podcast and that's, that's no fun. Um, I typically try to record one to two new episodes a week and that keeps, you know, between two and four in the bank at, at all at all times. And then before I record with a guest, I generally do one to two hours of, of prep. And 
that can vary depending on the guests and how much I already know about them. And I, I usually write out a list of just topics or bullet points that I want to talk about. I never write out my questions. I want it to be more of a conversation than interview. I say that to my guests beforehand. And sometimes, especially in the some of the last few episodes, the guest will actually question me back, which I'm totally fine with. And that is that is more conversation. But usually I just have you know, a list of, of bullet points. I may or may not reference it throughout, throughout the conversation, <laughs> but I think my job is to listen to the guests and give them the space to speak. And they're going to say something interesting. I've got to listen for it. And then I've got to follow up on it. So in the conversation, I'm constantly thinking of, all right, where are we going to go from here? What is, you know, my, my next question? Um, but that's getting off topic a little bit. Did I answer the? I mean, the I think so. I think yeah. I mean, I think so. I think um, or the process. You know, maybe maybe add to that like how long. So you have this master list, this wish list, which anybody who's hosts a podcast that's that's doing interviews has some sort of list that there's like people they'd want to have on. How 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 does how do people go from that list to being on the podcast? That's a good question. I don't really know. <laughs> um, I, I don't really know. Um, sometimes it happens. Sometimes it just kind of happens spontaneously where I'll say, all right, I'm finally going to reach out to this person today. Like Killian Journey is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to reach out to him and see what happens. And he got back to me and we were able to schedule the podcast. It wasn't like he had anything big coming up or a book launching I just wanted to talk to him and I finally sent out the the email. And it, it's tricky because you don't want to send out like too many queries at once because then you just get overwhelmed. And I don't want to put out more than one episode per week and I have a workflow to it that works for me. Um, so it's usually only like, again, I record one or two a week. I probably send out two to four requests per week and some of them we try to push down the road. But it's I don't know, maybe it's someone I see in the news and I'm like, how oh, they'd be really interesting to talk to or, you know, something just sparks in me and I'm like, ah, you know, I want to, I want to talk to that person. I'll reach out to them. I couldn't tell you. I honestly couldn't tell you how it happens. Um, it's, it's curiosity more than anything sure, else. Like, sure. Just I, kind of following your curiosity. Yeah. I mean, in the, in the past I have done some exchanges, let's call them. Um, people who are like, Hey, I'd love to have you on my podcast. Can I be on your podcast? I've stopped doing that. I mean, there is some overlap, um, where I will be on someone's show that I've had on mine, but it happens organically rather than have it just be a, Hey, let's record a show for my podcast and we'll record one for yours. Like I've, I've never enjoyed those. So I've stopped doing them. I do get Mm -hmm. pitches from PR agents when folks have books coming out and, those it just depends on who it is if it's someone that i want to talk to i'll usually follow up if not i i won't even respond but i mean curiosity drives all of it i mean i i want to talk to people i'm curious to learn more about or learn more from and sometimes that'll be me like researching stuff for coaching and i'll you know read an article by a coach and i'll reach out to that coach um or i'll be thinking about a coach who I've long admired and I'll just, I'll reach out to them and say, Hey, do you want to come on? You know, you want to come on the podcast? So it's a little random, you know, in, in that way, uh, because sometimes I'll, I'll bring someone on who has either never been on a podcast or hasn't been heard from 
in a long time, but I'm just curious to talk to that person and I'll reach out and bring them on. Yeah. I mean, so for folks keeping score at home, the Killing Jornet interview is episode 129. You should definitely check that one out. It's really super interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like one, th- one of the things that I really enjoy about the podcast is that I've, I've listened to enough of them where I'm almost looking, f- I'm, I'm, I'm always excited when it's someone I've never heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like listening to Shalane, I'll listen to Shalane talk wherever, whenever, wherever she's on. But, you know, some of these other folks you've had on, I have no idea who they are, but I know, I know I'm going to learn something, whether it's something about myself or something about them or something about running. And I feel like that's, as you mentioned, you know, your effort to try to make these conversations be timeless or evergreen. That's the goal. I think is really exactly. Good. Yeah. That, that's the goal. And I'm fortunate enough that the podcast is recognizable enough at this point that I can do that. And listeners who have been with me for a while know that even if they haven't heard of the person, that it will probably be an interesting conversation. Otherwise, I wouldn't have them on. Right. Um, and and that that's not something that I take for granted. I mean, on the flip side, I like having the Shalanes of the world on the Scott Fobbles of the world on the Des Lindens of the world on they've been on a lot of other podcasts they've been interviewed countless times and my goal with those conversations is to go to places that they haven't been on other shows and just have right. it be have it be different uh which is is hard to do um you know it's it's really hard to do and that's where some of the research can come in especially if it's a recognizable guest I'll listen to them on other podcasts to make sure that we're not overlapping too much. Sometimes that's unavoidable. Um, you need to set some groundwork or, you know, let them tell the backstory on something, but I Mm -hmm. hope that I can follow up in, in an interesting way. Last part of the podcast is the, the show notes and actual production of it. So that goes out Monday afternoon, Monday evening, um, Monday, and this segues well into how I put the newsletter together. Monday is production day for the morning shakeout. It's a long day. I generally start around nine, nine thirty in the morning and I don't finish until 11 o'clock at night, most Mondays, sometimes earlier than that, but it's and sometimes later, but it's, it's right. always a long day. And I put the show notes together for the podcast that day and get everything ready to publish. I do all of that myself. Uh, Jeff Stern, who has been on the other side of the mic for the ask me anything. Uh, he's the social media manager for the morning shakeout. So He'll get all his assets for the rest of the week. That day, photos, uh, little audio clips now that we're doing, and, and he does all the publicizing via social. But I put the blog post together that is the show notes. I actually publish it and, and have it sent out to all the different platforms and players that you can listen to this on. Um, and the rest of my day is spent writing the newsletter. I, I call it I call it production day. Um, throughout the week, I'm reading articles, I'm listening to podcasts, I'm watching films, I'm thinking about things, and I'm constantly taking notes. I use Apple Notes on my phone, my iPad, my Mac, mm-hmm. and I have it synced throughout those devices. And that's where everything gets dumped into throughout the course of a week, along with just my, I call it my, my chicken scratch, my digital chicken scratch of my initial thoughts on the article or how it made me feel, whatever it may be. And then on Monday, I go through all of that and I spend more time on each individual item and I I write them up. And sometimes I write really long and other times I write short, quick hits. Um, But then I also 
will write a workout of the week most weeks, and that happens on Monday. I'll look for the bottom line quote. Um, I'll put more time and effort than you would think into trying to find a lead photo mm-hmm. for the shakeout every week. And, and to me, it reminds me of my days as a magazine editor or working on the newspaper. I mean, you're constantly in production on the newspaper. You're putting something out every night. There's that layout lines. and all that yeah. sort of stuff involved. There's <laughs> templates that you follow. Same with a magazine. Um, it makes me think of production week when I was a competitor. I mean, when we, when we moved up here in 2014, I would fly back every month for production week of competitor magazine. And those are always long days. And, you know, you spend a lot of time, you know, editing and rewriting and reworking uh, and rethinking, you know, various things. And it's the same thing with the newsletter every Monday. Yeah. I mean, the, the template is the same, but like the, or like I try to be very thoughtful about the entire thing, the order at which I, I present things. I mean, I'll spend time moving those things around and people, listening to this might think that that's insane, but that's, that's what editing is in a lot of ways. I mean, it's, you know, you, you really do scrutinize every little detail. I don't have, I don't have an editor for the morning shakeout. So I'm writing it and editing it. So I've got to do that as well. And I try to be as careful as possible. And I, you know, I'll miss some things. I'm, I'm human and I'm usually tired by the time I'm doing my last read. Um, so that tends to happen, but I try to, I try to make it as, as readable as, possible i want it to be a high quality product and and i think about it and i act on it in a lot of the same ways that i would when i was working on a newspaper or a magazine but i mean that's a that's an all-day affair and i I take breaks for lunch and for dinner um spend a little time with my wife and dog and and get outside for for a little bit there's probably you know one to two hours of break time in there but otherwise it's just like head down staring at the computer screen writing the whole thing out editing, rearranging, scheduling it for publication, going to bed, being completely consumed by it, getting out yeah. of bed, Thinking going back and something. hitting <laughs> going back and hitting pause on the schedule send <laughs> and you know tweaking something or or reworking it. Like that's stuff people don't, you know, people don't see um and it's fine. I mean, you know, I I want it to be easy reading when you get it on Tuesday morning. But easy reading is damn hard writing and it is a lot of editing and folks aren't going to see that. And that's, that's fine. That's for me. That's my, that's my work, but I want it to be a pleasant, engaging, informative, entertaining experience when you get it in your inbox every Tuesday morning. And that doesn't happen by accident. There's a lot of work that goes into that. Um, So Mondays are long days for me as it relates to the shakeout, but it's being worked on throughout the week. Like, the actual consumption that's happening and the notes that I'm taking. But I found for me, like I have a propensity to pull like long days when I'm, I'm writing. I, I was this way in college when I wrote papers for my philosophy classes, I would wait till the last night or two and I would just pull a couple long nights and write the papers. It's how I've always, it's how I've always worked. And, and with writing the shakeout rather than taking like an hour or two to write every day, I just have one, you know, kind of big long session most of the day on Monday, and then I go into the the editing and revising and all that sort of stuff. Cool. Well, that's a that's a major peek under the hood into the operations of the Morning Shakeout media empire. I'm I'm surprised that people find it interesting. I'm happy to talk about it, but I'm like, it's it's not glamorous 
work. It ain't pretty. Um, it's fun. I enjoy it, but it's a lot of work. Like writing is writing is hard work. And I've been doing this week in week out for 283 straight weeks. Like this has been my life Amazing. for the last five plus years. And there are weeks where I do go on vacation and get away and I'll get things ready ahead of time or spend a little bit less time on it. But more often than not, I mean, it's just the same process week in and week out. And, and I love it. I love that consistency. I love the routine, but it's not easy. Um, you know, it's not easy. And, and I hope that like when someone reads it, that it is easy and enjoyable reading, but you know, the, the work that goes into that is kind of what satisfies me and what I take a lot of pride in. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like, you know, the passion that you just, you know, just in describing your uh, your process, I think that really comes through in the writing. Um, and I'm not just saying that as someone who's, I think I've read every single one <laughs> since uh, since it started. Um, you know, but it's it's just it's it's clear that it's a labor of love. And I think that one of the things that the, the readers and listeners appreciate is that they know that it is. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, you know it's what makes it. I think it's what makes it a really good podcast and a really great newsletter because not only are you working really hard to try to put out a good product, but no one cares about it more than you do. And that makes other people want to care about it. Right. And I think riffing off that, that's why I'm fortunate to have a great but small team around me, yourself included. We have a standing call every Wednesday where we talk about sponsorship related issues for both the podcast and the newsletter. Jeff Stern's been doing the social media for the past couple of years and he's invested in that. John Summerford has edited and mastered every episode of the podcast. I, I mean, I know when I send him something and I get it back and I think about the podcast as a whole, I'm like, I've been involved in every single one of these, but so has he, and he's yeah. in, he's invested, and he wants it to sound great, and he wants people to have an awesome listening experience when they have the morning shakeout in their ears. And I'm I'm really really grateful for that, and I hope it comes across in everything that I'm putting out. Well, I think we should end on that high note. What do you think? I think that's a great place to end it. But before we do, a uh, big thank you to you for hosting this episode no of problem. Ask Mario Anything. I know we've talked about it for a while. I'm glad we finally made it happen. I'll Put definitely bring coach. you back. But I know that both Jeff and John want to um, reclaim the host chair, so to speak. So I'll, I'll give them that opportunity and, and try to spread it around a little bit more. But thank you to everyone listening into this. Big thank you to both Tracksmith and the Atlanta Track Club for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Tracksmith is a longtime sponsor of the Morning Shakeout. They have stood by me and my work for the past five plus years now. I'm a big believer in not only their their products, but their brand and everything that they stand for and they're doing for running. Their spring collection is out right now. Check it out at tracksmith.com. And if you are listening to this podcast and you would like to try out Tracksmith, you can save $15 off your first purchase of $75 or more if you go to Tracksmith.com and use the code Mario15, that's Mario15, when you check out and I'll save you 15 bucks off your first purchase of $75 or more. Also, a big thank you to the Atlanta Track Club for supporting this episode of the podcast. The AJC Peachtree Road Race is going to happen July 3rd and 4th in Atlanta, Georgia. There will be an in-person 
race this year and also a virtual version. Lottery registration is open until May 1st. If you go to ajc.com slash peachtree, you can throw your name into the lottery and they may choose you for the race. You can also join the Atlanta Track Club. Even if you don't live in Atlanta, that will give you priority registration. You are guaranteed to get in if you join the Atlanta Track Club. But otherwise, if you're interested in being a part of one of America's most iconic road races, July 3rd and 4th, Atlanta, Georgia, go to AJC.com slash Peachtree. Throw your name in the lottery. Also, big thank you to John Summerford. Mentioned him a few times on this show. Longtime editor and producer of the Morning Shakeout podcast. He makes this show sound clear and amazing. A big thank you to Jeff Stern for doing all of the Morning Shakeout social media. And thank you to you, Chris Douglas, for handling the sponsorship side of things and keeping this ship running. I couldn't do it without the help of you three guys. So I'm really, really grateful for the small team that we have here at the Morning Shakeout. Last couple things before we wrap this up. If you could go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this, if there is a way for you to give it five stars or three stars or whatever you think it deserves, rate the podcast. If you can leave a little review, that goes a long way toward helping new listeners to discover the show. If you're listening to this and you had no idea that I have a newsletter, it comes out every Tuesday morning. You can sign up at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. It comes out every week, as I mentioned, uh, 283 straight weeks as of this episode, and you will get my take on what's happening in the world of running along with just a collection of things that I'm thinking about, listening to, reading, watching each week that you might find enjoyable. And I think that's it. I'm Mario Fraley. Thank you so much for listening in to the first Ask Mario Anything episode of 2021.